All right, open your Bibles to John 15. Tonight we're going to find ourselves in verses 12 through 17. We're continuing our series that we've titled The Parting Word. Jesus, referred to as the Word in the Gospel of John, is leaving. He's departing. And as the parting word, this is his final message. This is what he would have his disciples to know. As we kicked off John chapter 15, uh, in the last two weeks, we've been covering the first 11 verses. And uh, in those verses, we've seen a message for the disciples, and by implication for us, that they would abide in Jesus. He draws a picture for them. Uh, He takes them to to a vineyard and and, and draws a picture in which Jesus is the vine and everyone who claims Christ is a branch. And the way that we find out whether or not someone is actually a part of the body of Christ, the way that we find out whether or not someone is a true follower of Christ, is whether that person bears fruit. Whether that branch is a healthy branch that is in in a grapevine picture that's producing many healthy grapes. If you are producing fruit, then Jesus' indication is that you are abiding in me. You are abiding in my love, and you are truly my follower, because you keep my commandments. As we move our way through John chapter 15, what we're going to see is that in those first 11 verses, Jesus was emphasizing to his disciples their relationship with Jesus. But as we move through this chapter, what we're going to see is that he's going to emphasize a few more relationships. Tonight, we're going to see Jesus emphasize the relationship of the disciples and, by implication, believers with one another. So, the first relationship is the disciples' relationship with Jesus. And he says, you must abide in me. You must keep my commandments. You must remain and dwell and live and continue in me. If you do that, you will bear fruit. Well, tonight, what we're going to title this and what we're going to focus on is the greatest of those fruits. We're going to call this night the greatest fruit, knowing that everyone that is abiding in Jesus will produce fruit. What he's going to indicate in these verses is the greatest of all of the fruit. Let's read verses 12 through 17. Jesus says this. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this. That one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves. For the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I, I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you. That you would go and bear fruit. And that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command to you, that you love one another. In these verses, Jesus transitions from emphasizing the the disciples and believers' relationship with Jesus to the disciples and believers' relationships with one another. He gives them a singular command. And that is to love. The central command in this passage and by implication and what I believe is consistent throughout scripture. The greatest of all of the fruit in the life of someone who claims Christ is that they are defined by love. They are defined by love. So as we as we break this down tonight. 
We're going to break it down as three factors in your responsibility to love one another. Three factors in your responsibility to love one another. I don't want to take the time to turn there tonight, but before we jump into this outline, I want you to make a note of Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. In that passage, you guys know it, uh, uh, a young man comes up to Jesus and he asks him, what, what is the greatest commandment in the law? What's, in, in all of the Old Testament, what is the greatest commandment? And you, you know how Jesus responds in that scene. He says, there, there are two. The first is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, your mind, with all your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says in these two commands are summed up the law and the prophets. And what he says in that statement is that all of your Old Testament is summed up in two commands. Love God, love your neighbor. Well, as Jesus is emphasizing to his disciples the fruit that is to manifest itself in their lives. As far as their interaction with one another, his emphasis is just the same as it is in Matthew 22 and so many other places in the New Testament. That you are defined by your love. Jesus says elsewhere in John, they will know you by your love. They will know you. They will know that you are mine if you love one another. And so here he says, this is what I command you. This, we've talked about fruit that needs to show up in your life. This is what I command you, that you love one another. The one another that Jesus references is not a reference to all humans. While it's true that we're called to love all men. What Jesus is saying when he says love one another is he's talking about the disciples with each other. By implication then, the emphasis that Jesus is making here is that believers must love one another. They must. Believers must love each other. That is the first and foremost fruit and the greatest of fruits that is to manifest itself in your life. And that is that you would be defined by your love. Your love for all men. But especially your love for the family of God. Love is a, a difficult, difficult topic. Because you live in a culture in which the theme of love is completely twisted and completely abused. So much so that I think if we went around this room... We would struggle to define it. What is love? What is love? When Jesus calls us to love one another, we need to know what he's calling us to. Like if this is the, the greatest of fruits that is to manifest itself in your life, is if this is the fruit we need to see, what are you supposed to do? I want to, again, before we jump into this outline, clarify the meaning of love for you. And I want to do this because culturally, I think love is difficult to grasp. It's, it's difficult to latch onto. So first, I want to identify for you that love is a choice. Love is a choice that you make. I say that in response to something. 
I emphasize that love is a choice so that we de-emphasize that love is just a feeling or an emotion. Love is an action. When Jesus says love one another, what he's calling you to do is take action on something. He's not calling you to passively feel something. But so much of our culture would describe love as a feeling or an emotion that you have towards somebody. Biblically, love is an action. It is a choice that you make. It is something that you do. Now, so much of love that you know could be defined as how you feel about a specific person. Whether that's, whether that's family and, and, and how you feel about them or close friends. Love for so much of our culture is just that. It's a feeling. You are called to act. You're not called to passively feel something. You're called to actively love. And to actively love one another. Love is a choice. Also, though, I say that and I mean everything that I just said. You've probably heard that before. Love is a choice. And it's an important truth. But it's also a little bit dangerous. It's also a little bit dangerous. Okay, so secondly, love is a choice, but also love is affectionate. Love is affectionate. And I say that in response to the notion that love is just a duty. We talk about love being a choice that you act upon, but that doesn't mean that love is separated from emotion. Love is affectionate. Love is emotional. Love is something that you feel. In other words, when Jesus commands us to love one another, and we say, yes, this is a choice that we have to make, it's an action that we have to take, that is not separated from the internal command with which you love. So when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, he's emphasizing both of those. There's the choice that you have to love, to act in love towards God. But what do you love him with? With all, it's internal, with all of your heart. All of your heart is involved in loving and the actions that flow as part of that. Jesus is not commanding that we make actions that we call love because it's a choice when internally we are not loving. He's not calling us to hypocrisy. Okay? Jesus is not saying, you don't have to feel anything, just do it. Love is emotional. Now, it's easy to say, I'm not in control of my emotions. I, I can't change. If I don't love someone, how do I change that? That's just how I feel. I can't change my feelings. I don't think that's true. Our feelings are formed by our thoughts. Our feelings are formed by the things that we dwell upon. Surely if we would say, I, I, I cannot stand this person. This person drives me crazy. I don't like being around them. It's hard to love them because I don't. Internally, I don't love them. So how can you call me to love someone when I just don't love them? Can I really change how I feel about someone? Think that you can. 
I would encourage you, if you're struggling with that, with someone, to watch what you think about that person. To change your thoughts about that person. Because you are in control of your mind. So as you catch yourself towards someone that you struggle to love, saying, oh, they drive me crazy. There's something and I'm just dwelling and mulling over how annoying this person is or how much I can't stand being around them. You guys all know, you guys have this, when I'm describing that person, you have someone in your mind, right? Like we all have people that we struggle with being around. Change your thoughts about that person. Instead of meditating on what frustrates you, meditate on the fact that they are sinners just like you in need of grace and and therefore you can bestow love upon them. Look at someone who you struggle to love and say, that person is more important than me. Look at someone who you struggle to love and say, Jesus died for that person. As you change your thoughts... They will influence your emotions. And so we are called to love, not just as a choice, though it is a choice. We're called to love genuinely. Love is affectionate. It is emotional. And Jesus knows that as he commands this. That we would love God with all of our heart and that we would love each other. That we would love each other. I want to give you, I want to give you one more. Love is a choice. Love is affectionate. And lastly, love is selfless. And again, I'm giving you these two to resist cultural awarenesses of what love is. Love is selfless. It's selfless because so much of cultural love is motivated by selfishness. That's what drives it. I love this person because they make me feel good. That is selfishly motivated. 1 Corinthians 13, famous passage on love, speaks to what love is. And I want you to hear the selflessness in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 5. Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Most every one of those words is revolving around the fact that love isn't about you. Love is a choice you make. It is something that you bestow upon someone else. It's an action that you take in obedience to what Jesus commands. It's a choice. It's affectionate. It's selfless. And it's what you are called to do with every single believer. And I want to emphasize that because you all, maybe, love someone in this room. Within reason. There's, there's, there's people in this room that you would say, oh yeah, I, I like that person. I'm affectionate towards that person. I, I would do things selflessly for that person. But there's also probably people in this room or at least in this church that you would say, not that guy. Not that girl. What Jesus says in regards to love is that anyone, anyone, believer, unbelievers included, love the people that love them. Anyone has people that they love because they enjoy being around that person. That's not the test of true and genuine love. Jesus then calls in that context for them to love their enemies. That is the mark of a true believer. Well, if that's the call that Jesus gives to a believer to love their enemies, how much more the household of God? 
How much more should we be defined by love for each other? So, all that we just define love with, I want you to take that and I want you to apply that towards the church. Apply that towards every believer. To make that choice, that, that affectionate and selfless choice to love the household of God. To love the family of God. To love other believers. So, that gets us moving in the right direction. Let's start breaking this down. Jesus, in calling them to that, gives three factors in their responsibility to love one another. Three factors. The first one is the extent. The extent. The extent to which we are to love one another is Jesus' love for you. Jesus' love for you is the extent to which we love one another. Okay, so, you ask the question. We have to love one another. How much do I have to love these other believers? What's the limit? How much do I have to do? What do I have to check off to say I've loved, I've loved the believers? I'm loving the, the one another's. The extent that Jesus gives is his own love for believers. Specifically in this text, his own love for the disciples. Look at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another. How much? Just as I have loved you. So Jesus says, your love for believers is to be as much as my love is for you. So we have to ask the question, how has Jesus loved the disciples? How much has he loved them? How has he shown his love? Let's just try to wrap our mind and get a hold on Jesus' love. The genuineness of it. The perfection of it. The divine nature of his love. Just a few chapters earlier. We saw Jesus on his hands and knees, washing the feet of the men that he created. We saw Jesus sacrificially serving. Do you want a picture of love? Do you want to know the extent of love? It's Jesus washing the feet of, the, of his disciples. In just a few minutes, Jesus is going to look at his disciples and he's going to say, You are my friends. I am God. You are man. But you are my friends. It's a picture of the love that Jesus has. We're going to see it again in this passage. and We've seen it two other times before already in the upper room discourse. That Jesus is, is willing to give us whatever we need to be obedient to him. In love, he says, all that I have is available to you. Ask me and I will give it to you because I love you and I want what is best for you. Pictures of Jesus' love, his sacrificial and selfless love, his, his care for their souls that we're going to see in just a couple chapters in John 17, where Jesus is praying to the Father for the disciples, that they would continue in the faith. He, he's, he's loving them and praying for them and caring for their souls. What if we just step back and just observe the humility of Jesus and the fact that he took on flesh. 
That he was made in the likeness of sinful humanity so that, so that he could die on a cross for their sins. He humbled himself and took on flesh. That is a picture of his love. We could go all night talking about the patience and the kindness of Jesus towards his disciples. The love of Jesus for his disciples is infinite. It's, it's perfect. Selfless. It's affectionate. Why do we talk about that? Because that's the love that you're called to have. You are called to love as Jesus loves. How much does he love? Well, we just talked about that's his love. Illustrated in so many ways. He loves us completely, divinely, and perfectly. And you're called to love one another as Jesus loves you. And talk about a high standard. That's the extent of the love that we're called to have. But as Jesus continues to talk, not only does he show us the extent of the love that we need to have for one another... He gives an example of it. So second point tonight, and we're going to kind of merge these two points as we, as we walk through these. The example, of, the example of love is Jesus' death for you. The example is Jesus' death for you. So the extent is Jesus' love for you. The example is Jesus' death for you. He communicates this in a really interesting way. Let's look at verse 13 and 14. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Jesus gives an abstract statement here. He's just saying something that's true. You're called to love as I've loved you. And can I tell you what the greatest level of love is? That one would lay down his life for his friends. It's just, it's just a true statement. That that is the greatest illustration of love. To lay down your life for someone. Jesus isn't in that statement talking about himself. In fact, there's a lot of people that think this is probably just a cultural common expression. Greater love has no man than, no man than this. than one that would lay down his life for his friends. That's the greatest picture of love. So Jesus just says that. He tosses that out there. He says, you're called to love as I have loved you. And here is the highest measure of love that you would lay down your life for your friends. In other words, disciples, believers, you must love each other. And you must love each other so much that you would lay your lives down for each other. That is the extent of your love. That even your own life you would lay it down in the name of a friend. Jesus then takes that statement in verse 13. And he turns it into a prophecy about himself. He turns that statement into a prophecy about himself. Watch what he does. Greater love has no man than this. Than one that lay down his life for his friends. Watch this. You are my friends. The greatest measure of love is that someone would lay down their life for a friend. 
Jesus makes that statement abstractly, but then he connects the dots. He says, you are my friends. And if I am the greatest example of love, then that will show up because I am going to lay down my life for my friends. You are my friends, he says. You are the ones for whom I will lay down my life. And in doing so, There is so much that was accomplished on the cross. So much that took place in those moments and hours as Jesus' life was taken from him. One of those things was that he was an example for us. Now, that, I want to be careful, that's not the only thing that's happening on the cross. There are heretical views that have said what Jesus was doing on the cross was becoming an example for us, and that was it. There's so much more happening on the cross. But Jesus was being an example for us. He was being an example of what love looks like. Sacrificial and selfless love looks like Jesus laying down his life for his friends, and his friends are those who obey him. That's what he says in verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So in other words, Jesus says, the ones who keep my commands, those who bear fruit, they are truly my followers. They are truly my friends. And I, as the greatest example of love, am going to lay down my life for my friends. So, if we can tie these first points together. Jesus is the example of love for us. And it's an example that that is the greatest example ever. But not only is he the example for us, that's the extent to which we're called to love each other. You're called to love each other to the extent of which Jesus was the example. Selflessly and sacrificially. Claiming nothing for yourself, but laying everything on the line for your friends. And your friends, to connect the dots here, your friends are one another. The friends are the body of Christ. Love one another as I have loved you to the measure with which I have loved you. In accordance with the example that I have set for you. So... Three factors in our responsibility to love one another. The extent is Jesus' love for us. The example is Jesus' death for us. And lastly, we're going to close out this passage with the motivation. The motivation is Jesus' friendship with you. Jesus' friendship with you. So Jesus' love for you, Jesus' death for you, and Jesus' friendship with you. We'll read verse 14 again and then finish this passage. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all these things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. And that your fruit would remain. So that whatever you ask of the Father in my name he may give to you. This I command you that you love one another. So in this passage. Jesus gives a command. 
He gives an order to follow. Do not understand this as a suggestion from Jesus. That it's generally good to love people. This is a command from Jesus. But as he's communicating with his disciples, what he tells them is, I'm commanding you. I'm commanding you as a friend. In, 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 verse, in verse 15, he starts to talk about this slave and this master. And, and the slave takes orders from the master, but the slave doesn't actually know what the master's intentions are. The slave's job is to do this. When the master says go do something, the slave goes and does it. The master doesn't have to explain to the slave why he has to do everything that he has to do. Jesus says, you are no longer my slaves. You're my friends. And I'm bringing you into an understanding of why I'm asking you to do what I'm asking you to do. I've, I've, I've made you my friends. Jesus looks at them and he says, I'm calling you to love one another as a friend who understands everything that I've explained. I've, I've, I've received this message from the Father and I'm giving it to you. You know what's going on. I'm not hiding anything. You're not just the slaves blindly taking orders. You're a friend of Jesus. You're a friend of God, obediently and lovingly doing what he calls you to do. Just in this statement, Jesus responds to so many of the notions of like, Christianity just being this, this list of rules in which we're, we're, we're being driven as slaves by, by the God slave driver. Jesus says, I'm your friend. And I'm calling you to do this as your friend. Because it's best for you. So love one another. As your friend, I'm calling you to love one another. You just stop to think about the fact that Jesus calls us his friend. That is amazing. That God would look to sinful man who, who has turned his back on him. Who it's going to take his own death to pay for the penalty of their sins. And to those who would believe in his name, he says, you are my friend. You're my friend. Now, I, I love emphasizing that. But also in emphasizing that, I want to be a little bit careful. Because in in pointing to the friendship between Jesus and the believer, it's easy to become casual in our relationship with him. And I really want to resist any notion that Jesus and I were, were buds. We're just we're just old pals, we're 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 good friends. Because in the midst of that, it's easy to lose sight of who Jesus is. I, I want you to take note of the fact that Jesus calls you your, his friend. But I also want you to observe that nowhere in Scripture does anyone refer to God as their friend. There's, there's never a casual approach to God. The most casual approach that we would ever see in regards to God that's not being done by unbelievers is done by his disciples. You know, just a a few hours ago, you have John laying down on, 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 laying his head on Jesus' chest. 
John has a friendship with Jesus. But it's that exact same John in Revelation who when he sees Jesus who has called him his friend when John sees Jesus do you remember what his first move is? He falls to the ground face down in fear of Jesus his friend. And so I want to emphasize the friendship that Jesus extends to us, but I don't want us to get casual in our approach to Jesus. He calls us his friends, and so we relish that and dwell in that thought and meditate upon that, all the while maintaining a reverence for who he is and the fact that he would ever call you his friend. That is amazing. That is amazing. Jesus is the one who initiated this friendship. This friendship is on him. He says that in verse 16. You, you did not choose me. I chose you. And I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit He's back full circle to bearing fruit. I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give to you. I'm going to help you. I want you to produce more fruit. I want you to love one another selflessly and sacrificially and faithfully as I have loved you. Ask me for help. I'm going to give it to you. And he repeats it again. This I command that you love one another. So... How are you doing at loving the body of Christ? Making the conscious choice, the affectionate and selfless choice to act upon love as Christ has modeled and as Christ has called us to, to love one another. The measure is not, am I loving some? The measure is, am I loving all of the body of Christ? Anyone can love some. It's only because of God's work in us that any of of us could ever love all of the body of Christ.